Hello, everyone, and welcome. We're talking today about driving building performance at scale with USGBC Board Chair Ari Bernstein and GBCI Board Chair Don Anderson. In July, the USGBC and GBCI boards issued a joint public statement highlighting the urgency to advance green building solutions at the portfolio and organizational scale. We have an important opportunity to leverage the growing momentum behind corporate, institutional, and government commitments to decarbonization, resilience, equity, and human health. And we have an obligation to advance our vision of buildings and communities that regenerate and sustain the health and vitality of all life within a generation. Both require strategic action and a renewed focus on transformational change. So we're here today with Ari and Don to talk more about what that means. Let's start with some brief introductions. Ari is the Interim Director of the Center for Climate, Health, and the Global Environment at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and a pediatric hospitalist at Boston Children's Hospital. Hello, Ari. Hi, Nicolette. All right, and Don is currently an operating advisor to Blackstone, having served for 10 years as Chief Sustainability Officer in its private equity group. He was also a Vice President of Global Strategy and Business Development at ICF International, where he sold and managed energy efficiency and sustainability projects in the BRIC countries and Europe. Good morning, Don. Hi, nice to be here. All right, and I'm Nicolette Bonnet, your staff moderator for today. I've been with USGBC and GBCI for over 10 years, primarily working in education and market development. Don and I actually worked together years ago on one of the first lead training events from USGBC in China, and I've spent the last seven years as the regional lead for Latin America. I'm really excited to hear from you both today um, because this conversation about speed and scale matters so much for how the, the future of USGBC looks in the market. So let's start with the market outlook and the transformation that's taking place right now. For people who consider themselves part of the community of experts and advocates, we've been talking about climate change risks and the benefits of green building for 30 years now, but this moment feels really different. There's much more awareness and understanding around building impacts on health and climate change mitigation and resiliency, plus a number of things really seem to be falling into place that are driving public awareness. Commitments, policies, technologies, conversations about the risk-benefit assessment that people are doing. So do you see this as an inflection point for the market? Um, and how would you describe the transformation that's taking place? Ari, can we start with you? Sure. Uh, Nicolette, thanks so much for having me here. And it's always a pleasure to uh, share a platform with Don Anderson. Um, if this isn't an inflection point, I don't know what is. Often they can be hard to see and often in retrospect. But you know, as you rightly point out, Nicolette, we're seeing unprecedented amounts of resources dedicated to the kinds of things that USGBC has championed for a long time, and especially uh, in our wheelhouse, uh, which has to do with the built environment. And you know the stakes are incredibly high, uh, which makes it both a challenge and an opportunity for USGBC to, to seize the moment here and, and really continue to push us forward to realize a world that is you know one in which our resources are more sustainably used that's healthier particularly for communities that have historically borne a disproportionate share of harm from unsustainable uh, use so you know we we absolutely are are standing up right now and saying we we see this in in real time and we are moving to catch the opportunity that this moment affords to USGBC 
how would you describe the transformation that's taking place from from your outlook? I mean, we've heard from Ari about you know how he sort of sees things from the perspective of public health and human health. How are you seeing things? So I, I spent most of my career uh, developing programs that attack energy performance. And of course, now we talk about decarbonization. Sometimes we forget that we used to call it energy efficiency. So I've always been aware of kind of the ramp up of influence that programs can have. And so I've been working around the, the lead programs since the beginning. I think the difference now, number one, the, the backdrop is daily coverage of climate change, or you could just say uh, extreme weather events that really demonstrate exactly what Ari said. We, we can actually see the populations and how they suffer these, these weather extreme weather events. It's daily and it's on the news and it's inescapable. So I think that lends very real urgency to something that's been more theoretical throughout our careers. And then I think something I observed in working in finance is that companies feel obligated to make commitments regarding performance improvement. And so we'll talk about ESG here today. The E in ESG is the wheelhouse that Ari mentioned that we've been in for quite some time. We do know how to do this. We know how to improve building performance. And certainly this, this is an organization that defined what a green building is. Now we have a newer audience that has not been following us for 20 plus years. And the commitments that are being made are scaled commitments. And the response from the SEC has been, we'll be watching very carefully. It's a very different landscape, pressurizing uh, the marketplace to actually find real performance improvement quickly. And we may not be as good at doing that as we uh, have thought we are, because this, the scale has increased so much. The scale and just the the level of focus and the sense of anxiety and urgency around it, right? That everybody is trying to figure out how do we make a difference? How do we how do we drive change in this space? Let's let's go back to the health conversation for a minute, just because I think that that is on so many people's minds. Ari, you know, your whole career has been dedicated to the health of the very young and often very vulnerable, and looking at the health impacts of the climate crisis on children's health and well-being. And we know that, you you know, as you said before, green buildings really influence human health, both at the individual level, but then more importantly, at the community and the public health level. And that's been a big part of the trajectory for green buildings. How do you see that changing? And what do you think are the big opportunities for improvement for both, you know, building occupants and community going into the future? We have this extraordinary opportunity right now, Nicolette, to, to apply what we know about how buildings shape communities and how both of those entities uh, really determine the, the prospects for health. And that's true for everybody, but especially for, for children. And I think that the, the incredibly exciting part of, of what USGBC has established in the marketplace is that there are very few mechanisms available that could catalyze the incorporation of this knowledge into the marketplace at a faster rate and at a greater scale, if any. And so I just see this enormous potential to uh, not just save molecules of carbon from entering the atmosphere, but to promote healthy lives and, and healthy child development and to redress some of the historical inequities that have come directly from past decisions about how we design buildings and communities. 
it is somewhat ironic that that these things we build for ourselves could be so potentially harmful. But the reality is a lot of the buildings that uh, sit around our cities and towns today are, are incredibly difficult to, to thrive in. And so I think that, you know, in this inflection point, uh, we know we have to go to scale because the climate challenge, not to mention the water challenge uh, and a host of other natural resource challenges demand it, but because we see this unprecedented opportunity to advance health, and I'll speak to children uh, who are suffering from burdens of disease that almost entirely derive from the environments that they live in. And so I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that we can do this as we, we think about how USGBC and LEED uh, in particular can be advanced in, in the coming years. As a parent of a young child, um, I have to say, I've, I've just think about this and focus on this all the time about what it means for my own child and then what it means for the community where I live. And so I, I'm excited about the changes that I hope will come because I think it's so critically important. Don, switching back to you and what you were talking about before about how we've been the E and ESG for a long time. I mean, you've really seen the evolution of these concepts and ideas, you know, sort of coming from corporate social responsibility, sustainable and impact investing, triple bottom line. You know, ESG is now the big thing that everybody is talking about, and it's really eclipsed all of those other ideas. But it's something that like, it's, what are we what are we really talking about? Like it's what is behind the idea of ESG and what are the biggest needs and opportunities for us that are trying to work in green building around this new moment of ESG? That's a that's a good question. That's a, it's a big big question. So, terminology will continue to to change, and different sectors of the marketplace will develop their own terminology. It's nice to have a backward perspective to when we use the phrase energy conservation and energy efficiency, and then came sustainability. But in terms of your question regarding ESG. 25 years ago or so, it was SRI, socially responsible investing. And, and it started with categories like tobacco and firearms. And now it's been much expanded. ESG is a very broad umbrella. It includes virtually everything that we should care about as we go through our daily lives, but especially as we invest money. And sometimes for me, as an energy performance improvement expert, as ESG has evolved and it's it's been less than a decade, I think, with, with real ramping in the last three years. It's very hard for me to talk about the things that need to happen in a building in a, in a broader context that includes social and governance, which, which goes to Ari's point. So I, I often think about the, the founders that, that decided around 25 years ago that the definition of green buildings was needed, the timing was right, and that it could be approached in a very granular, very careful fashion so that you could actually certify excellence in the marketplace. That, that has required us to be very holistic in our thinking regarding what goes into an excellent green building. That definition has been expansive. So now we have things like net zero, net positive, may not have been part of the early conversation. We, we used to talk about embodied energy. Now we talk about embodied carbon. These are all very important concepts, particularly around new design and construction of sites. Now, because of this ESG explosion, and it's gone far beyond finance, investors are asking for care in these three categories. And so, as you said, Nicolette, we 
we own the E, and the, the language now is decarbonization, which, which is a little different, but, it, but in the end, if a commitment has been made at the portfolio level to reduce emissions, something has to happen in that portfolio to reduce energy use, right? The, the scale of commitments now are too large to be served by offsets or renewables, mm -hmm. uh, which are, of course remain options. So I watch the media on ESG and there's something that I think is important for us to remember. A lot of the discussion about ESG is regarding whether or not it's a valuable class of investment and whether or not the claims regarding returns are accurate because it remains to be seen because it's a new category. This is very different than uh, investors like pension funds simply asking repetitively that ESG be considered as a part of responsible investing. They're not asking for a separate class of investment. They're asking for overarching care. So when you meet new ESG professionals, and it is a new category, and there's, there's a whole new career there for people that want to be involved in ESG, these are not people from our community. They're not from the built environment. So they haven't been in the mechanical room. There, there's a lot of pressure associated with making claims that aren't true, which is good. SEC has made it very clear they'll watch this. So I, so I think the, the challenge is for us to, to take what we've learned in a, in a quarter of a century and apply it to this new challenge, which is ESG professionals that don't know the built environment, but are highly risk averse. Some of them come from the general counsel's office and there's no one's more risk averse than that. And making it easy for them to stand behind a commitment so that actions in a large portfolio are verifiable. So I think, I think that's where we are now. This is new, the size of the commitments, you know, talking about an inflection point is tremendous. We've never seen anything like it. So for us, it's scaling the lessons we've learned over time so that they can be applicable in this new, in this new setting. Because it's not gonna go away. It's not, ESG is not just a financial sector concern anymore. It's, it's kind of bled out into the global economy. Mm -hmm. So it's good. It, it kind of um, gives us a very enthusiastic boot in the right direction at the right time. And I mean, I think that what I, I find so interesting about this is just sort of some of the echoes from the past. I mean, listening to you talk, Don, about, you know, the new people that are involved and that this is a new way of thinking and how do we how do we get folks together? You know, that makes me think about when we're in, you know, when I'm in a new market in, in Latin America, sort of talking with folks about the whole idea of integrative design. And folks are like, wait, 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 wait. Like, no, the engineers sit over here. The architects sit over here. Building facilities sits over here. They don't need to talk to get this project done. It's like, no, this is going to be a much better project if if everybody starts working together and keeps working together. And LEED really was that holistic framework that said it's not just about energy efficiency or water efficiency. Like, let's focus on holistically what it means to have a green building and then use that use LEED as the leverage to, to get people to, to do the things and to take the meaningful actions um, and to work together. And so I think it's really interesting to sort of see how some of the things that we may have learned and experienced, you know, decades ago are sort of coming back in in this, in this new light, if, if I'm sort of hearing you correctly when you're, when you're talking about that, Don. I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think it's interesting to note that the SRI movement, 
which which was very important, never clearly asked for existing buildings at scale to be decarbonized. That's new. And I think the strength of the ESG movement is has far outpaced where the SRI movement was at its very best. And I think the, the key question here is, what are the things that can be done in a portfolio at scale? And can they be verified sufficiently for the marketplace? And I think those are things that we need to be involved in because I think we can provide the answer to this. It's a very new question, but it's certainly, and I don't think the founders would have been confused on this. We have mastered certification of single site excellence, and we will continue to expand that mastery because there's, there's new uh, categories of excellence that are being evolved all the time. But verification at the portfolio level, right? The thing that you might do for 500 buildings is, is not the same as certifying excellence. It, it actually starts with laggards, poor performers. Luckily, we've, we've dissected every move that can be made to improve building performance. So we have the, we have the right starting point to scale this. Well, so, so say more about that. So we're talking about, you know, in, in the old days of USGBC, there was always that, what's, what does market transformation mean? And we would look at that standard curve and think about, you know, where are you in terms of standard deviations along that curve? What you're really talking about are the people that are the laggards, the sort of the worst of the worst, you know, to the far left of that curve, right? Yes. One, well, you could say uh, buildings that are intrinsically uncertifiable. And to Ari's point, um, once we start working at scale under the ESG umbrella, which includes wellness, well-being, and how people actually live in the built environment and, and work in the built environment, you get to do far more than just certify single building excellence, but you, you are often starting with, with worst case scenarios. And you know, a good example is subsidized housing. You, you would not approach a large subsidized housing portfolio and look for the excellent sites that you could put a plaque on. You would instead look at worst case scenarios and how to quickly remedy them. If I'm a new ESG professional from the general counsel's office and I'm, and I'm risk averse, I want to understand that there's a way to find the worst performers in my portfolio and quickly bring them up to average as a way to go after a percentage emissions reduction target that applies to the whole portfolio. That's very different than saying, I think we can find 7% of your portfolio that we can put a plaque on. So we want to do both and we want to rapidly advance how both serve the marketplace. And so Ari, from, from the USGBC side, I mean, what does that mean in terms of next steps for USGBC and, and lead in the green building industry from your perspective? Well, that is the question of the hour. And I know that the USGBC team has been charged to dig into that question directly. And there's tremendous expertise, as you are well aware, Nicolette, uh, within the ranks. And I think given this new charge that did come from the board, I, I have every uh, expectation that, that the team will navigate this course better than anyone else could. I, I think you know, we have looked at, to Don's point, our past work as a path forward, and, and it will continue. But this is a different kind of challenge, as Don's remarks alluded to. 
and so I think it'll take us uh, some amount of time to figure out how how to embrace this track of of work. But you know, I, I, what's what's always impressed me about the USGBC team and the and the community that surrounds and supports it is how clearly they can latch on to purpose uh, when when it is put forward as as their as North Star. And I, I think that as we as we prepared the, the letter that Don referenced, which which talks about the board's intent to, to move these organizations towards addressing certifications at scale, we weren't sure exactly how those conversations would go, but it was um, amazing how quickly folks uh, not only said yes, it was we, we know we need to do this. And and so I, I'm I'm eager to see where where we go in terms of the oper you know operationalization of these ideas. And and I'm I'm excited about what that means for all the things that that we we value. I think that the staff is incredibly excited about that just because we, you know, as much as everybody loves seeing lead platinum buildings and single site certifications, we do really want to see lead and, and USGBC and the concept of green building having a real making a real difference in people's lives. And so that's that's what our work and that's what our passion is all about. So a lot of though of, of the great expertise that comes is is within the staff, but so much and maybe so much more even comes from stakeholders and committee members and from the global green building community. And so Don and Ari, what can we expect from our members and what should we ask them for and, and what should they expect from us over the coming months? Well, I think the most important thing is for for those who have been on on the, the ride for a long time to make sure that we continue to strive for excellence in in the areas we have excelled in historically. And there's no question that there's tremendous opportunity in uh, low and middle income countries around the world where most of the buildings have yet to be built. And you know, to your point earlier, Nicolette, about how in some places, the United States and other wealthier countries have exported really um, not what I would argue the best paradigms for green building, where you have fragmentation of design and build and resource allocation and buildings through different expertise and 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 hosts of other things. And so, you know, what would it look like to have lead not only catalyze the kind of transformation in, in design as, as you described, Nicolette, in the United States, but to make that this sort of leapfrog for places where most buildings have yet to be built. Then, of course, there's the new stakeholders, the, the folks, to Don's earlier points, that we haven't really had within our circles uh, historically. And we'll catch their ear uh, soon enough if we haven't already. And, and I think for them, the issue is that we offer something that they need and, and may or may not realize it yet. As I mentioned, there, there's you know, a hugely important part of the ESG uh, world that depends upon credible and certifiable standards. Uh, we saw this with the green bond world as LEED became successful, the financial markets realized that that really mattered to investments in buildings. And I think the same is going to be true here. And so I, I think that for those folks who are in the business of owning portfolios, building portfolios, who are trading in real estate 
uh, funds, uh, and, and many others, you know, what I would say is think about what it means to have uh, real progress. To your point earlier, Nicolette, about what does transformation really mean? And it's not about offsets. It's not about trying to do something someplace else because you can't do it here. It's, it's, it's about doing it here and it's about doing it in ways that have real value that extends beyond molecules of carbon. We, we make you know, the same challenge you, you referenced, Nicolette. We, we can't think about green buildings as simply resource flows, right? Uh, they're not just about how much water and how much carbon and how much air pollution and, and all the other you know, individual streams of data we can get out of them. They're about what they do to the people inside of them and to the communities that surround them. And we can't get there unless we think holistically and measure real outcomes about people. And, and, and so I think that, again, we have a real opportunity to catalyze a credible certifiable set of credits and standards that can accelerate authentic progress uh, at scale that, that very few, if any other organizations in the world can. Right. And to what Don was talking about earlier, that's what investors are asking for. That's what the SEC is looking at, governments and, and even you know individuals who are looking at, hey, where do I want to work? Um, where do I want to buy a home? What am I looking for in, in a building and in my community? Just being able to point to real change and not just saying, yep, they've, they've ticked the box, they've, they've accounted for their carbon, they've bought an offset. It's, it's how do we drive that real change and how do we drive that market transformation? Um, Don, let's switch back to you. Sort of what would you, for, this, for thinking specifically about the sort of new audience of ESG professionals that are coming in who aren't familiar with LEED, what's your advice to, to maybe some of the existing community about how we welcome and are inclusive and engaging with with those newcomers, and then how do we how do we speak their language? Because you know, green building has become its own sort of vernacular. How do we engage with ESG professionals? That's a great question. I think we have a lot of experience with the the challenge of drawing a functional dotted line between the design team, the construction team, the mechanical room, and the occupant. It's virtually impossible to take a theme like equity in the built environment or decarbonization and start with the design team and, and run that intention functionally all the way through to the occupants. But we've, we've been at that challenge for quite some time. I think the, the good thing about where we're going, because Nicolette, you, you asked what, what we might say to our members and our community, which is, a, a, there's very few communities that talk about the movement, which, which we do. If we escalate our pursuit of portfolios, which is not a certification of excellence challenge, it's a verification of action challenge, and keep that paired with our history of excellence in certifying building excellence. This is, you hear Peter Templeton talk, he talks about synergy. That, that enables us, as we move forward, to draw tighter lines between these different functions that are very disparate, and to Ari's point, if you're trying to pursue equity at scale, you have to be able to voice down to the design team, the construction team, and into the mechanical room to make sure that occupants get what they deserve in their in their built environment. So having having two paths will make us increasingly better at this. And and 
this is not new for us. If you've watched us carefully and you know about Edge, Lead for Cities, ARC's got 7 billion square feet, and then there's Lead EB and EBOM. This is not this is not our first swing at this, but now, now getting to your question. For these newly minted ESG professionals that do not come from the built environment, we need to help them understand that there's things that can be done right away that will help them hit their targets, which are extremely pressurized in the, in the with their new employees, and their new employers are extremely serious about these commitments that, that we know how to give them what they need as we as we've done since our inception to get the job done. And we know how to do it in, in a way that's verifiable. And that and that's I think the key here. I don't think verification is what many ESG professionals think it is. There's been a lot of focus on carbon accounting. And it's worth considering that 2019 is not is not coming back, right? That was the last kind of normal year. Now we have global economic disruption, global workforce disruption in terms of the number of workers, and we we don't really yet know where they're working. We have supply chain issues and we have extreme weather. So the the ability to do carbon accounting with baselining to previous years, it's not as good as it was. And this really turns this, this phrase, you can't manage what you can't measure on its head so that now the measurement needs to be action. It needs to be things that happen in buildings and very much verifiable. But we need to make this very easy. I don't think we can come at new ESG professionals and talk to them about embodied carbon and net zero, net positive, because their commitments are for 100 buildings, 500 buildings, 1,000 buildings. So we have to adapt what we know so that those professionals feel uniquely supported. And to Ari's point, we've been at this a long time. We do have a unique and very granular perspective regarding what options exist. And it's time for us to just scale up how we serve the marketplace. And for our dedicated community, that's usually very vocal uh, if they want us to tune up what we're doing, I I predict that they will hear us using new language and they will see us with new partners. We still love you. We just have to expand the market segments that know who we are and what we do and modify our, our offer so it's scaled. And I think if we do it right, the number of single sites that get certified will grow significantly because we're creating a funnel, uh, a much larger funnel, and the excellence will want to be certified. But first, we'll have to start verifying at scale. Right. And if I'm if I'm hearing you right as well, Don, you're looking at existing portfolios in the buildings where people are really hyper-focused on, on what is the performance across that whole portfolio and how do we improve it, not only the best of the best, but but the worst of the worst and bring that along. And then for the building design and construction, which has always been you know a big part of the AEC community that we work with at USGBC, it still is about how do we how do we create and design the best building that we can with the resources that we have, knowing that now there is this huge industry of finance and government regulations and oversight and interest from the market that's that's going to be sort of looking at at what are the new projects but then what are the existing projects and how do they all work you know i think for a long time the attitude was like well we can only make a difference at the moment of of design and not at the moment of ongoing operations and maintenance and you know as as i'm sure ari can attest that's that's not the way the human body works it's sort of like it's not done the moment you're born it's all about how do you how do you preserve your health and well-being throughout the course of your life? 
Ari, do you have more that you'd like to say about that in terms of, you know, what you expect to see with with buildings and with LEED as it evolves or with USGBC membership and what you expect from our members in terms of their engagement with this new idea? I think that the opportunities here are immense, and I I hope that those who have been along for the ride and, and those who are joining joining it see that. And, and my hope is that we can find ways to, to harness the collective wisdom to, to really unify what have been the strands of green building into a more holistic understanding of what we need to do and, and to, to put that into the market so that we can tackle what is a cornerstone of sustainable development uh, you know, I, th I think this is a, this is a, I don't think I'm being too bold in, in saying that this is a, this is a lifetime opportunity. I mean, th this, this is a defining feature of what our world will look like in, in the coming years, how we think about buildings, how we build new buildings, how we can touch those that are existing but it's going to define human civilization in a way that is unprecedented. Um, never in the history of humanity uh, has a set of decisions around how we design our communities, our buildings, mattered so much for so many people looking forward. And so I hope we can all see that opportunity and that we can work together to, to do the best job we can to accelerate the kind of adoption of scale of the principles that, that LEAD has espoused for so long. Not easy. There are definitely going to be bumps along the way, but, but the challenge is clear. Uh, the inflection point here is, is clear. And I think the good news about authentic outcomes that matter to people's everyday lives is that it's easy for people to get their heads around them. Um, and that could be around the health of a child. It could be about the prospects of financial return on investments. It could be about the safety of communities uh, and, and so many other things uh, we, 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 we care about uh, in this moment. And then one last question for you both, just because if we're talking at the community scale and about the importance of of impacting and changing people's lives, as you've said, Ari, a lot of this ties back to the idea that equity and sustainability go hand in hand and are and are vitally important to the future of the conversation and, and to making sure that we're clear about that in the same way that, you know, for a long time everybody focused on what's the performance of the building and then we weren't talking about the impact on the lives of the people in the building and people that are in the surrounding community. How do you see the evolution of USGBC and GBCI and, and sustainable buildings talking about, about equity? Well, my, my hope, Nicolette, is, is that we recognize that equity isn't just a moral imperative, that we, we, we cannot let those who have to benefit uh, on the backs of those who have not. But it's also a selfish imperative. And let me explain what I mean by that. If you take a step back, and we're now able to take at least a baby step back from the disaster of COVID, uh, at least in our country, in some places, you can see pretty clearly that the inequities that we allowed to fester between people of different economic status, between people of different races, of different genders, of different even gender identities, 
that these are the social fissures that create the space for crises like a pandemic or a climate shock, as I like to call them, uh, you know, a hurricane, a wildfire, to, to, to seed in and to grow and thrive and become much more destructive than they could have been had we addressed those festering inequities up front. Now, in our country, as in so many, we have long-standing fissures that are not easily healed, many of which are defined by the buildings uh, we have built and the systems of transportation that serve them and, and other elements of the built environment. And so we, we clearly have a responsibility uh, at USGBC to really push on these issues of equity primarily as a moral imperative, but not forgetting the fact that regardless of where you are in society and who you are, inequity is dangerous. And, and I don't know that we see it as that. We see it as unjust, which it certainly is. And, and, and it even can be short of a pandemic. I'm thinking about how many communities in this country we can't have first responders live in because they can't afford to live there or have teachers uh, accessible or people who are doing entry-level jobs because they're too expensive. And, and I think that is a serious challenge for sustainable development, not just in this country, but uh, in more and more places around the world, having enclaves of, of super rich folks uh, with, with those who are less well off pushed out doesn't actually work for anybody. And, and I think we have an opportunity through USGBC and LEAD to, to help people recognize that this narrative of, of sort of exclusive uh, rights to the world isn't actually good for anybody. And, and so I hope as we, as we talk about this, we're able to articulate our role in addressing the moral component, but also uh, this, this issue of why equity matters to everybody. Thank you, Ari, that was beautifully said. Um... Don, can we can we give the last word to you about about equity and how you see it? You've you've mentioned uh, earlier in the interview today just about the importance of making sure that we are more inclusive of different kinds of building types that we're no longer just thinking in terms of ESG about the impact of Class A office spaces and glass towers in in major cities. At the portfolio scale, how would you see this playing out in terms of of equity? Uh, thanks, Nicolette. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure a, a last word exists after what Ari said, and he continues to be a hard act to follow. But I'll, so let me do it this way: ESG will tend to see us um, as the E, and and decarbonization is the kind of the current buzzword for what used to be called energy efficiency. We have a quarter of a century of experience as an organization addressing this and we and we have current offers lead for cities arc with seven billion square feet eb ebom that that show that we've had a granular and also a broad and portfolio oriented swing at this the utility industry not just in the us but globally has been at critically verifiable action for decades so we've we've tried every flavor we're good at it and then you have things like weatherization and what happened uh, under CEC in California. There's not as much mystery 
in what has to happen to decarbonize portfolios as a newly minted ESG professional might think, right? It's very fast, it's low cost, no cost, which means it has a high return on investment. It's good for comfort and comfort is not equity and it's good for business. And we just need to move that ahead quickly. And so I, I wanna give an example. There's, there's been a number of meetings this year that Peter Templeton hosted around the future of LEED and also in hearing, hearing from our community. And he interviewed uh, Jennifer Granholm, who's the uh, Secretary of Energy, and she, and she offered a partnership that I really loved. And it was, let's create a workforce. And so this is a trade and a votech element in an environment where you can't find young people that want to work with handheld tools. It's a problem in manufacturing. It's a problem in the mechanical room. We'll create the workforce. And she was careful to say it needs to be timed correctly so we have something specific for them to do. And they will be able to go out and address opportunities at scale. Uh, the first year, second year, third year opportunities are pretty easy. The low cost, no cost stuff does not require mechanical engineers or CapEx to replace equipment. I think this is a partnership we'll pursue aggressively. It's very derivative of what was a weatherization movement that we saw in the, in the 1990s. All of this stuff can be done. And I think what you'll see moving forward is an organization that's on top of it in terms of this unprecedented scale that, that Ari mentioned. We, we know how to do this. I think what I'd like to see us do is take the, the founder's initial uh, persistence to vision and apply it to this, this challenge of what is equity in the built environment and how do you drive it globally, right? We, we are global in our reach and we do touch uh, most sectors uh, that are viable for performance improvement. We created, if you, if you think about the good old days at Greenbuild, an exhibit hall full of service providers that need to start morphing and expanding so they can participate in transformation at scale. And then, and then the real question is, to, to Ari's point, what, what service provider culture and marketplace do we need to stand up to address equity opportunities that come with built environment mandates associated with ESG? I think that's the that's the question that we need to lean on. And I think because we're good at training, credentialing, certifying, and slightly different verification, we're in the right place at the right time to, to take this on. So it's, it's jobs for the people that are already in our community and important work to be done and jobs for the next generation. I think that's what we all want, right? Is to have our work have meaning and have impact. Impact is the starting point for any endeavor like this, but you don't you don't get to stay relevant unless you scale and modify to match the marketplace. So we have a new audience that's surprisingly huge and that's never heard of us, and we have a chance to weave in equity to to what we've done over time. So it's a very good time for us. Thank you both very much for your time today. This has been a fascinating conversation. It's been great uh, to have the opportunity to do this, especially with Ari. It was very exciting for me to see the, the letter from both boards go out. So we're committed to this, and I, th I think it's the right time for us to lean into this, and it, it leverages 
things I've been watching for 30 years. So I'm, I'm very happy to be right here right now. Thank you. Thanks, Nicolette. And always a pleasure to share a platform with Don. And I am just completely excited at the prospect of what we can do together uh, at this inflection point. I am eager to see developments uh, in the coming year to that end. And I'm looking forward to watching, uh, watching the actions of the staff and of, of our community uh, unfold. Thank you very much to our USGBC Board Chair Ari and our GBCI Board Chair Don for being with us today for this great discussion. ESG and equity are critical issues facing our industry and well beyond our industry, and we look forward to continuing this discussion in the months ahead. 